every person with heart mobility is very different. So if they come to you, you've got to go through the extensive history of it, really listening to that person and nutting out on that first session what their main issues are is really helpful. I am so excited to be finally back talking to you all. Like it has been a red hot minute. So if you are new to this space, welcome. My focus, instead of just being on broad mental health, I've really kind of niched down a little bit in terms of ADHD. And so what I want to do every week is answer your questions about ADHD. So thank you for joining me for an ADHD chat. I really, really appreciate it. So I'm wondering if you can start firstly by just kind of introducing yourself and then what you do, and then we can let people, like we're talking all about ADHD and hypermobility today, which I'm actually really excited about. Yeah, sure. So I'm a physiotherapist. I also have hypermobility and neurodivergence, so I'm diagnosed with ADHD as well. I work a lot with the population of hypermobility, just helping with the musculoskeletal side of things. And so you came and chatted with us on Thursday night and I can't, oh, Wednesday, I don't know. It was a day, but it was pretty cool. <laughs> I just got so much out of it and I just thought it'd be really cool if you shared that with us today because there was so much that I actually didn't know was linked with ADHD or even just what hypermobility like the signs were to kind of look out for. And so it'd be really cool for our listeners for you to just explain like what it is, what to look out for, and then what you kind of do with it. Yeah, yeah, sure. Okay, so first off, hypermobility is related to an increased range of motion at the joint. So it's seen as to exceed typical or what's expected for that individual in particular. And it's caused by altered collagen encoding in the DNA. So certain gene mutations are changing the way the body synthesizes and yeah, creates collagen. And that's causing soft tissue in changes through the entire body. So not just the muscular system, but the digestive system, even the brain as well too, all of the organs, all the vessels. So it's affecting the whole body as a whole. There's different types of hypermobility. So you can be positive for hypermobility, but be asymptomatic. These are the people who are usually the dancers, uh, the gymnasts can work in their favor. When it starts to become symptomatic, that's when we put in the category of what we call hypermobility symptomatic, but don't fit the criteria for a condition we'll go into a bit more called Ehlers-Danlos. So this condition is diagnosed based on quite an extensive criteria, which doesn't just encompass the joints, it's the whole body. So they'll look at your skin elasticity, they'll look if you've ever had any sort of um, bowel issues, it's a lot more holistic. It's important to note that if you don't meet the diagnosis for Ehlers-Danlos, doesn't mean that you don't have pain, it just means that you may just not fall into that category. And that category is there mostly just to indicate to people, indicate to researchers, people most likely to have the gene mutations so that when they're researching it, um, they can look for common trends. You're looking at the individual for who they are and um, whether or not they meet that criteria, just go off their symptoms. So usually what you'll see is you'll see someone who has poor coordination. So they seem to walk into walls uh, they call themselves clumsy. They're not as aware of their surroundings. They're always bruised because they're walking into things. 
they frequently dislocate different joints. So they may dislocate multiple joints or they might sublux it to the point where it's so normal for them that they'll just report they just put it back in themselves. Digestive issues, so they'll tend to have issues with absorbing nutrients. They'll have bloating, diarrhea. They'll have um, reflux and IBS, all different types of digestive issues due to the soft tissue changes in the gut. They'll have thin and stretchy skin. So that's a good way to also see if someone does have hard mobility, not just in the joints. And they'll have recurring injuries. So they'll come in and say, I have a wrist injury and a foot injury, and now it's my shoulder. And they'll feel like a hypochondriac. It might come across as that because they're always in pain and they're usually related to her as well. Pain and stiffness in most of the joints. So the ball respond with pain and stiffness if there's a threat to the joint. So if there's reduced stability or what's being asked of the body is too much for what it can actually accomplish. Um, it will respond with pain and stiffness, cause you to stop limit. So I'm painful, I'm not going to go and run and sit down instead so the body has time to heal. But then it causes a cyclic pattern of pain, avoidance, weakness, avoidance, more weakness, avoidance, more weakness, and then they end up over time deconditioning more. Some people end up finding just getting out of bed is so painful and they have just don't have the capacity for it that they end up yeah, very incapacitated from it. Um, and then the lastly, that is really highly related with health conditions, with anxiety and depression, um, and all different types of neurodivergence. We'll go into that a bit later as well. So as we mentioned, every person with heart mobility is very different. So if they come to you, you've got to go through the extensive history of it. So if they come to you and say, my main issue is that I have really bad digestive issues and you go, oh, you're hypermobile, here's a strength program. You could just miss the main therapeutic benefit for that person in particular. So just, yeah, really listening to that person and nutting out on that first session what their main issues are is really helpful. So some things that commonly co-occur with hypermobility, it's what we call dyspraxia. So we went into before about uh, the reduced coordination. So dyspraxia is a term that refers to uh, when the brain to the muscle connection is affected. So these are the people who will struggle to pick up new skills. They might be delayed in learning to write their name or doing buttons up on their shirt, or they've always just been that kid that will call themselves uncoordinated, take a lot longer to pick up skills because there's actually a misfiring between the muscle and the part of the brain that controls that muscle autonomic dysfunction. So this is a really big topic, but essentially it just means that there are changes to the automatic nervous system. So this looks like blood pressure, organs, breathing, everything that your body does automatically. And the way that this usually manifests in a good example is a condition called POTS where as the person goes from uh, seated position to a standing position, the body fails to compensate for the need of increased blood pressure. And then the perceived blood low blood pressure causes an anxiety response in the body. So the body will elevate the heart rate and dump a bunch of cortisol to try to put up your blood pressure. But then it causes anxiety in the body. And that person will usually report, I have like a really fast heart rate 
I feel really faint. I feel exhausted. I'm anxious. My body is just anxious. I don't have anything going on in my mind, but I just feel like I want to like crawl out of my own skin every time that either done a lot of exercise or they haven't drank enough water or they're just stressed. There's lots of things that can set it off. I'll make it worse. But yeah, that's that's a very big topic. Uh, fibromyalgia. Mm. So we see uh, just over 50% of people with hypermobility have fibromyalgia. And what fibromyalgia is, is it's a misfiring or misinterpretation of pain signals in the body. So a good example of that is I had a client who kicked her right toe and felt it in the left toe or they'll experience pain throughout every joint in their body at the same time, or they'll, they'll experience hip pain today or shoulder pain tomorrow. And it's just for so long, those joints have been in pain that the body has started to kind of have a misfiring in, in its ability to like uh, accurately detect the pain levels. Uh, but it's really important to know that this is very real for that person. It's not like they're in pain, they're making it up. It is something they genuinely struggle with. And this population tend to have quite a lot of fatigue because they're constantly in pain, feel very misunderstood. It's an invisible illness. They'll have scans, nothing will come back. They'll feel like they're going crazy in a sense. But it's really important to note that exercise is the most effective way to deal with that. You just need to do it the right way so that you don't overstress an already stressed out body. But yeah, there's lots of lots of evidence backing exercise with that. And lastly, we touched on the digestive issues as well. Just over 90% of people with high mobility have digestive issues. It's huge. It's such a, a huge issue for people with mobility, even just constantly feeling bloated. Like when they eat, their bowel just distends so much more, gas gets stuck, they feel uncomfortable. Because of the autonomic dysfunction, it can result in that increased stress response, which then can cause diarrhea. So then they're also not absorbing of their food as well. They're also just not absorbing minerals as well through the junctions of the intestines because of the hypermobility. Yeah, so these people tend to yeah, really struggle with their digestive system and that makes, we know about the gut-brain access. If your gut isn't healthy or it's not absorbing, your neurochemicals are thrown out as well too. So it's kind of like this just feeds back on itself for the negative implications. The numbers on hypermobility, so one in five people in just the general population will be hypermobile. When you look at the neurodivergent population, 50% of those people will be hypermobile and neurodivergent. So what that looks like is of that population, yeah, if you get someone who is neurodivergent and hypermobile, it's, it's one in two in a sense, if that makes sense. It does, which is a huge number because I don't think this is talked about a lot and the impact that it has, right? Exactly. And this is just reported data as well too. could be even higher. That's just what they've found in the research so far. But even so, 20% of the population having hypermobility is huge as well too. One in five people essentially have hypermobility. So, yeah, very interesting. So if we look at the gender differences between the two, women have a higher incidence of having neurodivergence, but this is uh, seen between all types of hypermobility as well too. Women tend to present with both a lot more. They're not quite sure why this is. They're uh, imagining it's something to do with hormone changes in the body, 
but yeah, the evidence isn't clear on that. The way that we diagnose hypermobility quickly is through the Baton scale. So what that would look like is you would check to see if your little pinky can go past 90 degrees. If it can, you get one point for each side. And then you would check to see if your thumb can come down to your wrist. If you can, you get one for each side as well. We do the same through the elbows. And then you look at the knees as well. And then you would see if you can touch the ground with your palms flat. But I'll, I'll share this diagram with you too so you can maybe put it with the link so they can have a look. Amazing. But that's really, yeah, that's a really helpful way to just quickly indicate if someone should be, should further investigate if they have hypermobility, essentially mm. five, five out of nine of the options. You said something interesting when we were chatting too about maybe like as you get older, I think this is probably going to be worded wrong, but maybe you stiff, like your joints get stiffer or something. So even if yes. you're like, unsure, like if it doesn't work and you're unsure, it sounds yeah. like it would be worth investigating. Is that? Yeah, yeah, it's true. They There is a term for that. So they call it historic hypermobility. You wouldn't be seen as hypermobile, but it's actually due to biomechanical changes of the joint from wear and tear and damage over the years. Uh, so it would be really important to ask the person, yes, you're not meeting that criteria now, but in the past, were you really flexible? Um, a good example is I have one client and he has so much osteoarthritis through his hand that he wouldn't wouldn't seem to be hypermobile. But then if you look at the rest of his joints that don't have um, osteoarthritis, it's very clear and the stretchy skin as well too in different parts, especially on parts of the body that don't usually stretch like this part of the hand or the neck. Yeah, okay. That's a really good way. It Obviously, as we age, our elastin goes down. So it does get harder to use that. But yeah, those areas are the best way to identify it. Yeah, that is a very good point. When we look at hypermobility and how you treat it, the number one thing that you want to focus on is strength, but it has to be relative to the person. So if you go too hard too soon, you can put them into quite a bit of pain. So I tend to go quite slowly with that and just build them up. This is something you can be managing for your entire life. We just need to find the right parameters for you. And that might take a while, but strength is the most important thing to, to acquire for the body that takes pressure off the joints and the ligaments. Uh, endurance is important, but strength is superior. And the best way to explain that is, if you had, if you could lift hundred kilos, one kilo would be nothing. You could lift that all day, but if you can only lift 10 kilos, one kilo is 10% of your body weight and you, you get tired and a lot faster. So essentially the stronger you are, the less percentage you're working at day to day. So it makes all of your activities more achievable and less draining. Um, I think we talked about actually, someone gave an example of uh, uh, how their granddaughter is exhausted after school every day and yeah. even for, for being a little kid probably just because her muscular system just isn't strong so she's literally working at 100% capacity just to walk around whereas if she was a bit stronger it would be the relative the relative um, difficulty of the task of walking around would be lower and then pain so really important to teach people how to manage their pain independently there's uh, no point in getting them, well, if they have to wait to see you every week 
to be able to relieve their pain. All it tells them is that I have no control over my pain. Whereas if you teach them how to do it, they go, okay, I have knee pain. What do I do when I have knee pain? I do this, this, and this. Uh, so they've got strategies and control back over their pain. Uh, postural stability. So again, um, teaching them what good postural stability is and building the right muscles to be able to hold them in that range of motion against gravity over time. So that, as we mentioned about the, um, the little is genuinely exhausting for them. Optimizing their biomechanics. So teaching them how to walk really efficiently, how to lift things efficiently, um, but just making them aware of how to protect their joints at all times. Um, what positions are the best? Managing their soft tissue injuries. So again, they're going to have multiple injuries and just educating them that they're not being a hypochondriac. They will have multiple injuries. And what you'd want is for them to know essentially long-term how to manage every one of those independently so that they have control back over their life. And then lastly, balance and coordination. So we see a lot of people who are hypermobile and neurodivergent, they have a lot of issues with balance due to the proprioception system. So our ligaments give a lot of feedback back to our brain as to where our body is in space. And because our ligaments are more flexible, we have reduced accuracy of where our body is. So the best way to explain proprioception is if you were to stand up, stand on one leg and then close your eyes, if you could maintain your balance, you'd have pretty good proprioception. So you're taking away visual input. You're just relying on the structures to tell the brain where it is. Uh, but if you were to fall over, whereas you could stand on one leg with your eyes open, you'd be pretty sure that your proprioception was reduced. Just doing balance training means all the joints are in a better position. So you can actually do strength training more effectively because if you try to activate a muscle on a joint that's not very stable, it's kind of like trying to do a squat on a wobble board. Your body has to work so hard to stabilize you and activate that prime mover. So balance training is really important as well. It's very fatiguing as well. But yeah, we also were talking about how the balance training is really helpful in people with ADHD as well too for that, was it the crossover of the brain, helping the brain talk to the other sides a bit better? Yeah in the cerebellum. So that was really interesting. It kind of all comes back and links together, <laughs> which we like that. That doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> and now I'm just going to talk about why exercise is important for the brain. Uh, so we've talked about why it's really important for the body. And now we're just going to focus on the brain of the benefits of the, on the brain. So it releases neurotransmitters, uh, which a lot of, well, it's been a massive correlation between neurodivergence and inefficient neurotransmitter usage neurogenesis so it stimulates the growth of new brain neurons and this is really important if you want to be like learning new skills uh you want to have health of the brain and be able to retrieve your memories so it works to increase the neuro the creation of neurons in the actual hippocampus which is the part of the brain that stores memories Enhanced connectivity, so it's what we were talking about before. It helps the brain talk to the other sides of the brain a lot better. Uh, mm. and, and blood flow, so not only is the brain getting more nutrients, the more blood flow it gets, the um, byproducts of chemical reactions and all the toxins that accumulate in the brain of the day reduces the levels of stress. So 
it brings down cortisol, which helps you get into your parasympathetic nervous system, you rest and digest, which also helps you sleep. And sleep's really important for detoxification, memory consolidation, concentration. Uh, and a lot of people with neurodivergence really struggle with sleep as well too. So really helpful there. Going to go through a case study. So this case study is actually on my mum. So she has hypermobile Ehlers-Danlos. 2020, sorry, in January, she had got to the point where she could barely get out of bed. She was falling over because she had such bad balance. She had fibromyalgia in her neck, lower back, both knees and one of her wrists. She was scared to exercise um, and she was in that avoidance loop because every time she did, it just made it worse. She just didn't have the capacity to do what she needed to do. Um, she was feeling very depressed and anxious and had lack of control over her life. And if she was to get injured, she would take between eight and 12 weeks to recover her um, from these injuries. So we started her off at the pool for 60 minutes twice a week for six months. And then all she did was walk around and just kind of got into a good habit of exercise was able to move her body in the water without the effects of gravity in a way she couldn't do outside of the pool. And then by 2021, so a year later, she was going five days a week. She'd seen a dramatic reduction in everything I mentioned before. A year later, she was seven times a week, reduction in everything, especially anxiety and depression. She actually reported that it had completely disappeared by 2002 uh, 2022. So two years later. And then as of this year, 2023 in January, she is healing injuries within three days. She started doing a strength training regime. Uh, she's tolerating that three times a week. She's able to walk five kilometers when previously she couldn't even stand for 10 minutes without excruciating pain. So it's taken her three years. She is definitely on the extreme side of the case. Um, but there's so much you can do no matter where you're at with it. That's essentially what I want you to take from this. And just to summarize it, I hope that we've been able to show and identify the link between hypermobility and neurodivergence. And I'd love to think you could identify the signs and symptoms for people to get screened and potentially diagnosed. And um, hope I've convinced you that exercise is an effective strategy for both mobility and neurodivergence. I think the thing that I that I really took from you in terms of exercise is that it's really important to talk with someone like yourself to know what exercise because mm -hmm. I've noticed for me like I do all the exercise and it doesn't help in you know quotes but yeah. when you were talking oh but maybe that's not in line with what I needed or my body where my body was at or there's so much shame around it because that could look like they can only lay down flat and do a bridge on the ground. So that would be just lifting the pelvis up. It might be they have to eliminate gravity and they're going, why am I 20 years old and I can't even do a squat? And we just need to take that out of it and go, where are you at now? Whatever you can tolerate, What you need to be able to feel the muscle in order to know you're activating it. So there's just no point pushing through conventional exercises uh, if because they literally, if you, if you don't have the strength, it's just going to be loading the joint that's going to be setting off pain. When you're in pain, your body 
inhibits muscle activation as a protection mechanism. So then you're trying to strengthen it, but it's being inhibited. I think it's a really good point you make that if, yeah, you've got to get the right program. You've got to get someone to uh, make it individualized to you. Otherwise, essentially you could be making it worse when you have really, really great intentions of strengthening yourself. So yeah, good point. I think what would be really cool if like, if there's anything that might be like a takeaway that you really want people to hear from you um, around hypermobility or ADHD, and then also like, how would people find you or access you if they actually want to know more or maybe book an appointment to figure things out for themselves? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So I guess the biggest thing that I'd like people to take away is that there is a very solid link between the two. And if you are neurodivergent, exercise is just so important, the most effective way for managing it. And I don't want people to not be able to do that because they're in pain. And I want to take away the shame people feel from just the constant fatigue and uh, yeah, recurring injuries that they have and just see how it all kind of meshes together. If we can improve one thing, it improves the other. And just understanding it too, like we said, taking the shame out of it because I can even relate to that part of it. Yeah, yeah. There's there's so much shame around both conditions, really. So that would be what comes to mind for me in this moment. Um, in terms of contacting me, I have an Instagram page, a web page. I have online booking. You can directly book with me. Um, I'm just located just in Warrawong near. Harvey Norman, just in a little health hub called King Street Complex. I do, I work with other health professionals too. So you would start off with me, I would diagnose you, get you back to a certain point. And then once you're at a point where you can start doing things a little bit more independently, we can either talk about setting that up for you long-term or getting you engaged with a PT um, who can guide you through learning all those extra skills. So that effectively one day you are your own uh, manager of your body. You know exactly what you need to do. So you don't need to rely on health professionals or be going to, you know, three appointments a week forever. You get to a point where you might only need to do a check-in if you have an injury. So that would be another goal of mine. Yeah. Love that. Can you let everyone know what the Instagram page is to find you on? Yeah. So it's RX Physiotherapy. So um, R for rabbit, X for xylophone, physiotherapy, Wollongong. You'll find me on that Instagram. And then if you type that in, my webpage should come up as well too. Thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. And I just get so much out of chatting with you. Oh, same with you. Bye. <laughs> Bye.